0: question 90 what is faith in jesus christ faith in jesus christ is a saving grace whereby sinners receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to them in the gospel What kinds of faith are mentioned in Scripture? If you were to read uh, 20 authors on this question, I'll bet you'd get 20 different lists. But there are a number of things in common that go back hundreds of years in the Christian faith. There are often said to be three or four, and I want to give you four. All right? What kinds of faith are mentioned in Scripture? The short answer is ultimately only two kinds, saving faith and non-saving faith. But those are often broken down into the following four categories. And these are really helpful to know. These are important, I would even say. Um, The first kind of faith, which is non-saving faith, it is a part of saving faith, but not the whole, is what is usually called historical faith, historical faith. And by that, men mean a mental assent to the truth of God revealed in Scripture. But missing any real affection or commitment to that truth. So for those of you who know the classic, what are the three parts of saving faith, right? Knowledge, assent to that, and trust... This is really the first two parts of that without trust. This is knowing the truth of God and assenting to it, saying, yes, I think that's true. So this is a mental assent to the truth of God revealed in Scripture. It is often called bare faith or mere faith because it's not a whole-souled embracing of the truth, but it's just a mental acknowledgment. Now, we're not saying that historical faith is bad, or even unnecessary, but it is insufficient to save. It is part of the whole of saving faith. It teaches us that faith isn't blind, it's not a leap in the dark, it has truth content. In fact, we call our faith, the faith. But at times, this kind of historical admission is not so much belief as it is grudging, admitting, or conceding. Think of the examples of the devils in James 2.19. James says to his readers, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's faith. That's belief. It's the same word. And men, when they believe like this, are no more saved or pleasing to God than those devils are. A human example, one we gave uh, to Lord's, uh, last Lord's Day, is Simon in Acts 8.13. Simon himself, it says, believed and was baptized. So the scriptures say that he had faith at least of a, of a certain kind, And yet in verse 23 of Acts 8, Peter declares that he was still, quote, full of bitterness and captive to sin, unquote. In other words, he wasn't truly regenerate yet. He wasn't saved. Simon gave assent to the message of Philip. He believed and was baptized. But it wasn't saving faith because it wasn't joined with repentance. There was no entrustment. His faith was self seeking. He just wanted to get ahead by using this faith. And so it was a devilish faith. And this is the faith of many religious people. And I fear even many who call themselves evangelicals. It's why men and women can fill churches which, quote, meet their needs, unquote. They're simply modern Simons, they're committed to themselves. With God as their chief servant. They show little or no commitment either to God as servants to Him or His truth. And it's the bane of our so called Christian nation and our churches. We could say to them, as Isaiah said to the Jews, and as Paul quoting him said in the New Testament, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing but never perceiving. That's historical faith. <clears throat> Inadequate to save, but necessary. Secondly, temporary faith. This is historical faith joined with a transient, kids, that's just a big word for temporary, transient effect on the affections and will. So men with this faith confess the truth of God, yes, but they also briefly demonstrate an external reformation. However, they don't endure. They only stay at this for a little while. Now, again, we're not saying that this is bad in and of itself. Um, I have had relatives who have had a religious experience of various kinds, and, and they've recognized that their sins are causing them all kinds of trouble, and they, they uh, start anew. Well, we're thankful to God when their lives improve for the better. But this is not to be mistaken for full salvation. Again, when a man leaves drunkenness, quits beating his wife, on and on, this is a good thing. When it's done in the name of religion, it's a good thing. But if it's temporary historical faith, as good as it is in some respects, it is not unto salvation. The passing, short-lived, temporary faith is not saving faith, and that's confirmed by the parable of the soils, Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21. They receive the truth. They have joy, but it's temporary. And the believer, the so-called believer, falls away. They're a temporary. They have temporary faith. And again, as we have learned, all through Hebrews, and especially in this last section of Hebrews chapter 10, temporary faith doesn't save. Only living, enduring faith saves. All right? And then uh, a third uh, kind of faith that's mentioned in the scripture, and these are, again, classic um, uh, long-time church names for these. You'll, You'll see these. In all different times of the um uh, of church history as you read about faith Uh, the third one is uh, faith in miracles or what's sometimes called miraculous faith so there was historical faith which is the mental ascent to the truth of god revealed in scripture there's temporary faith when it's historical faith plus some temporary change thirdly is miraculous faith that's belief that a person has that they have the power to do something beyond natural causes because of God Second Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 13:2 If you have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love you're worthless right Or Matthew 7:22 Lord, Lord, uh, uh, let us into heaven. We did all these miracles for you. Christ doesn't deny that they did miracles. What he says was, I never knew you. You never knew me. One of the reasons that Protestants have historically rejected uh, the continuation of extraordinary gifts one of the reasons is um, simply that we we need to tell people to be careful they can be imitated they can be done uh, but they don't prove that the person is from God or even a Christian it doesn't mean that what's being done is with God's approval Um, and so we need to be careful We certainly believe that god still works miracles today every time a person's regenerate that's a miracle really Uh, and there are other examples that could be given well the fourth and final kind of faith found in scripture is saving faith and we will describe that in the rest of the questions Um, but let me simply say saving faith is faith that receives christ rests on christ that that acts toward christ uniting themselves with him, and then endures. Saving faith is faith that acts and endures. It receives and rests. It takes Jesus and trusts in him for the entirety of their salvation. All right? So that's the first um, question. Any questions about that? All right, question two. Why is faith called a grace? Is that odd language for you? I I hope it isn't. Faith is a grace. The reason faith is called a grace is because faith is a gift of God to unworthy sinners. It's a gift of God to unworthy sinners. And sinners exercise that gift. This teaching is one of the great differences between those who believe the doctrines of free grace and those who believe in free will. All Christians, at least that I know, believe that men are born with the faculty of choice. People people make choices. They make decisions. They trust things, or they choose not to trust things. In other words, they have a will. They have a soul capacity that we call a will. But that will, as part of their nature, is always subject to their nature. And as all men by nature have natures that are evil, they invariably make evil choices. They can't choose God. They can't savingly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Of their own power of their own choice scripture confirms this Romans chapter 3 no one seeks after God all turn away from him or John 1 11 to 13 or many other texts you can think of free will is a myth in the unregenerate free will is a myth it does not exist in the sense of being able to choose Christ in the unregenerate. But at the new birth, then the faculty of choosing is enabled, it's enlivened, and then when the commandment of God comes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we do that. We believe on the name. We take Jesus Christ. That's how it works. God gives us faith. It's an effect of the new birth, and we then exercise that faith. This is why it's important. It's important to get that down right. This is why we are not free willers or Arminians or Socinians or a whole bunch of other things. (laughs) And we're also not hyper-Calvinists. We believe that in salvation, God has his part and we have ours. Now, ours is always following. Ours is always a response to God. We never initiate. But God gives faith, and then we believe, we trust, and we are saved. All right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. All right? You're saved, not by works, but by what? the gift of God, faith. Faith is not a reward, but it's a gift given of God's free favor to people with no qualifications to boast of. It is not of ourselves, as the scripture says. That is, it's not of your own will. It's not of your own wisdom. It's not of your own gumption. As 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, who makes you, Christian, different from anyone else? What do you have that you do not receive? If you say, I have faith of my own free will, this taking and trusting of God was my own choice, then you're boasting. And this is why Arminianism and free willism are not just wrong doctrine, they're wicked These doctrines steal glory from God. You should not love them. You should not believe them. You should not live in accordance with them. It's not just that that teaching can harm men if taken the wrong way. It's true that that teaching isn't true. John 1.13 expressly says, salvation doesn't come by the will of man. But what I'm getting at is that God's glory is on the line with this teaching. And he's not one to share the praise of his grace. Salvation is of the Lord. And if we have saving faith, it's only because God granted it to us. And so God deserves, he is owed all the glory. Philippians 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I still remember the joy and awe that uh, filled me when I first recognized what this verse taught correctly. Belief is the grant of God. Well, let me just say, as an aside, um, this isn't as common, perhaps, as it used to be, but Calvinists used to be criticized for narrowness. We still do sometimes. Um, You don't offer it to everyone the way you ought, and you don't allow people to think that they can all be saved, and a lot of that is misrepresentation. But even when those people are our true brothers, we utterly reject this doctrine of free will. If you really trust in free will, it is soul damning. But more importantly, really, more importantly than that, what could be more important than that, Pastor Ron? My soul's, there's something more important than that. That teaching directly diminishes the greatest good in the world, which is God's glory. So we hold to the doctrines of grace, not as some hold to an insignificant theological point, but as one in which we simply will not compromise. Because while it harms men, more importantly, it lessens God's displayed glory. So that's why faith is called a grace, because it's a gift, because it's a grant, because we were unable and Christ-enabled. Praise his name. Question three, why is it called a saving grace? Well, you, you know this. The short answer is, because wherever true faith is, so is salvation. John three thirty six: he, he who believes on the Son has everlasting life. Life not death. Salvation, not damnation, is the portion of the believer. Children, if you have received Jesus Christ, then you are safe from the penalty of your sins. Now at the beginning of salvation and forevermore. This statement is true because of the second reason of why faith is called a saving grace. The first is because wherever true faith is, there is salvation. But the second is that faith is the means of justification. In other words, faith is the method, the way, the instrument that a person's sins are forgiven and perfect righteousness is made his. We need to be careful, especially in our day, to say that faith doesn't save on its own merits or worth. Now, this is everywhere in liberal and, and broad evangelicalism. It's one of the great deceptions in our nation t- today. Oh, you're a, you're a person of faith. As if any and all faith by itself saved and made us right with God and took our sins away. No. No. No, faith doesn't by itself take our sins away. Christ and his work takes our sins away. Why faith is instrumental, why it's the way, the means, why it is necessary, is because that's how we get Christ. And then Christ cleanses us. We are said in Scripture to be justified by faith because it connects us to Christ, who is our justification. So faith is the instrument by which we are united to Christ. It's the channel through which flow to us all the saving benefits of his perfect life and perfect death. And I would point you to Romans three twenty-one to 28 um, to study. And it is faith alone that is a saving grace in this sense. It's not love or repentance or any of the other necessary graces that save us in this strict sense. Why? Because it's only faith that bonds us to Christ. Love doesn't unite us to Christ. Repentance doesn't unite us to Christ. Good works don't put us in Christ. Only faith does that. That's the way God has designed it. It's an empty hand. It takes the fullness of Christ. Question four. Why is it called faith in Jesus Christ alone? Well, that's because he's the sole object of saving faith. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not believe on Abraham, believe on Muhammad, believe in yourself, believe in God in general, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Because he alone is the righteousness of God, and in him alone is the forgiveness that sinners need to be saved from the wrath of God for their sins. The word of God declares that there is no other way of salvation except Christ. Any other object for our faith is a false savior and an impotent idol. No one else can really rescue us from our deserved punishment. So he is the only object of f- saving faith. We rest upon him alone for salvation Now, according to this answer, question five, what are the elements of faith? What are its parts? Well, faith in its nature is a response. And I have taught you multiple times that it consists of three parts. You will often find in church history that that it it is said to consist in two parts. That's because the first thing, receiving, is... um, really just a putting together of knowledge and assent and the third one or the second one resting is the same thing as trusting right so this isn't in any way contradictory to what i've taught you before about the three elements of faith here here is simply another way of packaging them What are the parts or the elements of faith? They are two, receiving and resting. John 1, 12, this is receiving. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. That's what receiving is, believing on the name of Jesus, everything that he is and stands for. Believing here is pictured and explained as receiving. And again, Receiving is often broken down into the knowledge component and the assent or agreement component. That's what we mean by receiving the truth, believing the truth about Jesus Christ. This is why it's important to preach content in salvation messages. You men who would preach or witness, or street preach, or whatever. It's not enough to make people feel bad about themselves and then offer them Christ. They must know what God calls them to do in faith. It's it's believing certain propositions. It's agreeing with God about them. And then it's casting ourselves on Him and Him alone. Otherwise, all you do is generate... Ignorant professions and ignorant professions are not saving professions. The second element of faith is resting, and that's because faith is more than just mentally knowing and agreeing, it's also trusting or depending. In other words, it's committing ourselves to God. Romans 4 5, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Faith is trusting God. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, which is quoted twice in the book of Romans, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we rest in Christ for salvation. When convinced of our own inability, our own insufficiency, we let go of everything else and rely on Jesus. We place every bit of our money on this one bet. No side bets. No hedges. No, for those of you who do stocks, no shorts. It's an all-in. That's what faith is. It's an all-in. Faith is, in this sense, the engagement of the sinner to Christ, one who is utterly convinced of his lostness and his need, but equally convinced about the value, the sufficiency, the ability, the willingness of this Savior Jesus. All right? Well, question six. How is Jesus Christ offered to sinners in the gospel? The short answer is as a whole Savior to the whole man. As a whole Savior to the whole man. We take Him, mind, affections, and will, giving our entire selves, body, and soul completely to Him, our complete Savior. We must take all of him, the God-man, the mediator, in his three offices, prophet, priest, and king. We must bow to every one of his claims. To talk of picking and choosing between Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord might be understandable to someone who is deciding on the basis of their own free will. But to those who understand that they have been saved by the call of divine power that enlivened their dead souls, the idea of taking parts or pieces of Christ and leaving others is ludicrous, irreverent, even disgraceful. We need him as a prophet who teaches us the knowledge of salvation, we need him as a priest who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. We need him as our king. Our enemies are stronger than us. They would overcome us. What part don't you need for salvation? Oh, I know some might say, oh, I don't want that part. I didn't ask you, what part don't you want? I said, what part don't you need to be saved? You need the whole Christ. It frankly should repulse us to think about taking Christ in some kind of partial way, as if we stood over him and judged him, worthy in this area but unworthy in another. What a grotesque and wicked way of thinking. It takes all of Christ in all of his offices to save all of you and me. So if you have not taken all of Christ and given all of yourself to him, may God give you grace to do so. Because this alone is the way of salvation.